Uh, Hear the word of the Lord from the prophet Isaiah, a reading from chapter 51, verses 9 to 11. So I invite uh, everyone to hear in faith the word of the living God. Awake, awake, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. Awake as in days of old, the generations of long ago. Was it not you who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? Was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a way for the redeemed to pass over? And the ransomed of the Lord shall return and come to Zion with singing. Everlasting joy shall be upon their heads. They shall obtain gladness and joy, and sorrow and sighing shall flee away. The word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. I uh, had an uncle who would uh, tell his wife every uh, Christmas season that for her it was Christmas every day. Didn't go over too well, as you might well imagine. don't know whether this guy is Scrooge or is he, you know, just really generous every day. But nonetheless, I suspect it was uh, the latter. Uh, but it is a good reminder that for uh, for certain, uh, each and every day is the day of Christ delivering us uh, from the many dangers, toils, and snares that surround uh, the people of God. Uh, so, in Christ, deliverance is. Uh, in every respect, uh, a daily event. And we find that in the text this morning uh, as a righteous remnant, the nation of Israel, uh, prays. Uh, they summons uh, God. Uh, it's a prayer that you could well imagine. It's a prayer for deliverance. Uh, verses 9 to 10. And then, of course, in verse 11, God answers that prayer. He will always answer that prayer. Uh, you pray for deliverance, uh, the timing may be off, the manner or the form may be off, but I can assure you, God will deliver his people each and every day. Uh, he will preserve and protect them spiritually and uh, give them safe passage uh, to the other side. It's never failed. It will always happen. Again, because God delivers us uh, because of Christ each and every day. And so the prayer, verse 11, is answered and deliverance secured, glory is certain for the people of God. So, so it is a, it's, a, it's a prayer. Uh, the immediate fulfillment, as the prophecies of Isaiah, breaks upon the nation being delivered from Babylonian captivity, but the ultimate fulfillment, of course, is in the church. That God will deliver us from spiritual Babylon. Uh, again, give us safe passage Uh, secure uh, the glory that he promises us. So let's let's look at the prayer, verses 9 to 10. calls on God to wake up. Uh, Maybe on occasion there's some prayer that you're fixed on and you just, oh, God's asleep. Can't hear me. He's uh, out for the day. Taking other more important calls. I don't know what we say, but certainly it's true. We find ourselves in lots of pickles in life and we pray and it's as if nothing at all is happening. 
God is seen sometimes in our lives to be totally unresponsive. Uh, But our faith tells us otherwise. The scriptures tell us otherwise. Because, of course, God doesn't need to take a power nap. Uh, in light of who he is. If he, if he needed to take a nap, he wouldn't be God. Uh, if he needed to be awakened by us, he wouldn't be God. Uh, one of my favorite psalms, I, I pray the first couple of verses every morning. Uh, perhaps unlike you, I find myself in a pickle every day. I look into the hills, from whence does my help come from? My help comes from the Lord. Now listen to the theology, who created heaven and earth. If God created He can do anything. Nothing can stop him. Nothing can get in his way uh, because of who he is. But the psalmist goes on to say, he who keeps Israel will neither slumber nor sleep. The word for keep in that text could be translated as guard, as a military term, uh, in in the sense that in in our passage to heaven, as the people of God, God is at our side, He is armed and dangerous, and his people will come to no spiritual harm. He will see them all the way through in safe passage. Armed and dangerous is a way to look at the Lord. Reminder of a text we read last Sunday night, Isaiah chapter 9, referencing the coming of the Son, who was born, uh, that he's a mighty God. I prefer a different translation, that he is a mighty warrior, because that's what God is to us. He's a warrior. He is a king in the sense that he fights all of our battles, and when he fights our battles, he always wins. He does not, he cannot, he will not lose because of who he is. And so, he who keeps Israel, he who keeps you, will neither slumber nor sleep. The the other parallel uh, prayer here, besides for God to wake up, uh, is to put on... Uh, put on strength. Uh, put on strength, O arm of the Lord. I, I would translate that in the sense of dress for battle. Or come and set us free. Danger is present. God's people need help. The plea is urgent. Uh, the reference to the arm of the Lord is a reference to his power, his omnipotence. God doesn't have an arm, God is a spirit. Uh, But we speak sometimes of God in that way, and warriors uh, bear their weapons with their arms, and so it's a summons to God to come and uh, defeat our enemies. And then there is an appeal in this prayer to the history of redemption. Uh, what, what, What God has done in the past. It's a good reminder, I think, for us to remember to pray perhaps in in that way. Uh, because it reminds us if God did thus and such in the past, and he can do it again at any time of his choosing. And so if you look at the text, latter part of verse 9, was it not thou who cut Rahab in pieces, who pierced the dragon? So it's these uh, evil forces that are causing the nation, the righteous remnant to pray, and they're reminding God of what he did in the past, so he will do it again, which is what God does for his people. Uh, Awake as in the days of old. And, and we, I think, should remember, well, you know, God, you, 
You saved us at the cross. You forgave us of everything, past, present, and future. Uh, if you delivered me of the greatest, then, then do the lesser, whatever the case might be. Uh, in this case, the context is framed uh, by the fact that you and I are in the last great exodus and we're moving to heaven. We're leaving spiritual Babylon, uh, moving to heaven, moving to God. All along the way, there's you know, words of amazing grace. There's dangers, toils, and snares. Uh, some of them just too big, but God will fight our battles. Uh, there's something of this in Exodus chapter 2, a uh, good reminder in terms of theology. Uh, Exodus chapter 2 in the 24th verse. Uh, as you know, the nation here is in uh, bondage uh, to Egypt. Uh, and we read, so God heard their groaning and God remembered his covenant with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In other words, God is going to act to deliver them based on his covenant to Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. In that sense, it doesn't have anything to do with them. It has everything to do with Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob. Well, God, with respect to the church, has a new covenant. And everything that he does to us that is benevolent is based upon what he did for us in Jesus Christ. The eternal covenant of redemption seals our passage, seals our fate. Nothing with respect to our salvation uh, is uncertain uh, because of uh, the covenant that God the Father made with God the Son. So it's good to recall historical theology, uh, the way God did things in the past. For us, it, uh, calling upon God to be gracious and merciful in light of the cross. And so the present captivity causes the faithful to recall the past when God created the nation at the Exodus. And God needs to do that again because they need a new Exodus and God's going to deliver it to them. But let's expand upon this redemptive historical uh, idea here. Latter part of verse 9 again. You cut Rahab in pieces and pierced the dragon. Uh, it is a, it's a reference to Egypt. Uh, Rahab, uh, Isaiah chapter 30, verse 7, is identified as Egypt. Uh, and, and oftentimes, the enemies of the people of God are captured in very violent-looking uh, uh, monsters like dragons. Certainly see that predominantly in the book of the Revelation. And so here you, you pierce the dragon. Uh, Psalm 74, uh, something of a commentary on just this idea. 74 Psalm, uh, verses 12 to 14. Uh, Yet God is my king from old, again, reading Psalm 74, verse 12, who works deeds of deliverance in the midst of the earth. Thou dost divide the sea by thy strength. Well, that's a reference to the Exodus. They're being pursued by Pharaoh. Their back is up against the Red Sea, and God divides the sea, uh, historical act of redemption. God just spoke and it happened. Be because, again, he, he created heaven and earth. He can sustain his creation. He can save his people. Thou just break the heads of the sea monsters in the waters. Again, a reference to Pharaoh in Egypt. Uh, the sea is uh, going to represent something of an alien place where monsters live, and uh, God's going to provide safe passage for his people. Uh, he's going to uh, defeat uh, the sea dragons. Thou just crush the head of Leviathan. 
uh, I'll just give him his food to the creatures uh, in, in the wilderness. So same thing as the sea monsters, Leviathan, just simply named uh, in the Psalter. Uh, another text that speaks to this is Ezekiel uh, chapter 29 in the third verse. Uh, speak and say, thus says the Lord God, Behold, I am against you, Pharaoh, king of Egypt, the great monster that lies in the midst of his rivers, that has said, My Nile is mine, and I have, myself have made it. Again, uh, pantheon of gods in Egypt, the Nile was, was a god, uh, Pharaoh was a god. Uh, here there's a collusion between uh, Pharaoh and the Nile. Pharaoh was claiming that the Nile belongs to him, that he made it. Well, again, that's uh, theology that's corrupted from him who is the original creator uh, who created all of the waters and rivers and seas uh, and that God is sovereign over Pharaoh and when Pharaoh tries to harm the people of Israel God destroys him uh, so what the faithful are doing in this text is what you and I should do in light of the cross is calling upon God to repeat his past acts of deliverance. It's an acknowledgement that what God did in the past, he can and will do again, because that's what God does. He can save his people uh, in ways that we've seen before. Uh, and this imagery, as you know, is picked up in the book of the Revelation, imagery of an exodus, imagery of dragons chasing the people of God, trying to destroy them uh, in, in the waters. Uh, can God win that battle? Well, we shall see, but, but the theology, all that we know is that he, he does and he will. So now they're under the oppression of Babylon, the history of redemption in Egypt and the first exodus is the basis of their prayer. What you did then, do again. Set us free from Babylon, return us to the land. Now the prayer continues, uh, Isaiah 51, uh, 10th verse. Again, I think it's a reference to a, to a righteous remnant that's calling upon God. Uh, was it not you who dried up the sea, the waters of the great deep, who made the depths of the sea a pathway for the redeemed to cross over? Well, of course it was God. And uh, the verses that we have read document that that's exactly what God did. And again, he did it based upon his covenant with Abraham. Uh, you and I sometimes get caught in that trap that, you know, woe is me, I've done things, and God is no longer going to save me because of what I've done. And look, everything that God does for you in his benevolence, if you're his son, he does not because of you, but because of Jesus Christ. And if he gave you the greater, then he's going to give you the lesser. He's going to give you safe passage uh, to the other side. Uh, here again, the sea was a place of evil, but God made a way through. And we know that, for example, Exodus chapter 15, the song of Moses, singing of God's great victory at the sea. Uh, but we've seen that before. If you, if you think about it, it's not necessarily a new event. In terms of conceptual parallelism, uh, long ago and far away, there was a little boy named Moses, and uh, Pharaoh was killing all the, all the children. Time of great danger. And the mother of Moses takes him and wraps him and puts him in, you know, if you will, a little ark and uh, sets him afloat on the Nile River. 
Again, in Egyptian theology, that was Hopi, the Nile River God, who would destroy God's people. Imagine doing that today. Getting all kinds of trouble. But desperate times, and what Moses' mother did was certainly consistent with uh, the theology that she was aware of from Exodus 15. And did Moses, the infant Moses, perish? No, he was saved. Saved from the Nile River God. Because God's in control. God is sovereign. Uh, seemingly to me, it would be a time of great danger. I mean, you know, rivers have sometimes unusual currents, and, uh, you know, you get caught between a water obstacle, get sucked underneath. I mean, God was there protecting Moses. God had other plans, just like he has other plans for you. Uh, so Moses is delivered. Uh, there's another great story of this regard, is there not? I mean, Jonah. Jonah's disobeying God, and uh, God sends a great fish, Jonah says. But conceptually, it's, it's a great sea monster. Swallows Jonah. Guess Jonah's not going to make it. No, Jonah's going to make it. Spends three days. Uh, when God commands the fish to deliver Jonah, the fish delivers. I mean, that's what all of God's creatures do when he commands. They obey in light of who he is. We should learn from that, by the way. Learn to obey God. And so, great picture of the resurrection. So God reduplicating, God saving his people from evil places, the sea, uh, the Nile River, uh, Hopi, the Egyptian river god. Because that's what God does. If he did it for Moses, if he did it for Jonah, did it for the nation, it's a sure bet he'll do it for his church. And none will be lost in light of who he is. A couple key words in, uh, in Isaiah 50, 51 verse 10, uh, made the depths of the sea a pathway, literally the word way, so that, they, so that God created a land bridge through the Red Sea that the children of Israel might escape. In our theology, uh, that land bridge is Christ. Christ says, John 14, 6, I am the way. Uh, if in your sojourn in this life, uh, you find yourself not on the way, if you're not a Christian, there's only one way that's a place of security, and that is Christ. Every other way is, is a way of deception, a way of folly. You might think you're safe, but uh, at some point your land bridge will give way. Uh, there's only one place of safety. Uh, outside of Christ, uh, the world is a howling wilderness and incredible danger. And I can only tell you that the sea monsters will eventually get you. Uh, not so the people of God, as is being documented in the text. Uh, second, the redeemed crossed over. Uh, description of the people of God, we're redeemed. Uh, so theology of the kinsman redeemer. Old Testament theology, if you had a family member and they were in trouble, they were, uh, you had to sell themselves in slavery, then you, you had a responsibility and duty to go redeem them back, set them free. Well, that's what God does for us. Uh, he sets us free, wins us back. Uh, and so it's another reminder that we should just use historical theology when we pray. Uh, not because we're lecturing God, but because we need those reminders. God doesn't need them. He doesn't need anything. He doesn't need a 
lesson on the history of redemption, uh, but we do. That's why we should, we should speak in such terms. Remind ourselves, God, you did it for the children of Israel. You did it once in, from Egypt. You did it a second time under Babylon, and you know, do it again. Uh, again, we need the reminders, not God. And so we should pray such. And, you know, one verse that illustrates that, uh, Romans chapter 8 and verse 32, if God gave us his son, will he not freely give us all things? Contextually, it's not all things literally. I mean, that's the foolishness of the world in which we live, in which, you know, you pray for a Cadillac and God will give you one. No, all things is defined by the context of Romans chapter 8. Safe passage to heaven. And that's what God's going to give his people. And nothing can stop God from securing their safe passage. Uh, so, so that's the prayer uh, of the righteous remnant, something of our prayer. Uh, let's look at the answer from God, verse 11. Uh, New American Standard reads, so, you know, I might translate just with a simple and, but there's a connection. Uh, the answer is going to be framed uh, by the prayer. Uh, the prayer is something of a causal event and uh, the answer is going to be the effect. Based on what God's done in the past for his people, uh, the future becomes certain. Uh, so God answers. The answer is very simple. All of the ransomed will return. Uh, the word ransom, again, is a synonym for the redeemed in the previous verse. It's another reminder of the promises of God that he, he, uh, he ransoms his people uh, uh, stresses the transfer of ownership based on payment. Well, in the case of the children of Israel, what was the payment? Well, certainly the firstborn of, of all of Egypt was taken. Uh, there was, of course, the Passover lamb. Yeah, in our case, uh, Christ is the Passover lamb uh, who takes away our sin. Uh, so based on a payment. Uh, you know, by the way, if you're not a Christian, you need to think in those terms. Uh, because God is holy and righteous, he, he demands payment. Uh, the equation is quite simple. Either Christ pays it or you pay it. A great reminder of the essence of the gospel that Christ ransomed his people. He paid uh, the penalty that they were due. And that uh, all who come to him uh, have their, uh, their debt paid in full. Uh, so, here, in terms of the promise of, of uh, the certainty of return, it's couched in language of great celebration. The ransom of the Lord will return and come with joyful shouting to Zion. Everlasting joy will be on their heads and they will obtain gladness and joy. Uh, to me, the last is the most beautiful. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. Uh, so they pray, God answers, that's his answer. Uh, they prayed in light of oppression, God promises deliverance, and the outcome of uh, joy and deliverance is certain. Uh, and we, we're, we're taught to do the same thing. I mean, you know, our, our Lord's Prayer, uh, do not lead us into temptation, 
but deliver us from evil. That's a prayer God will always answer. He's going to deliver his people from evil because that's what God does. Uh, and, and the reason we pray that, it's exactly the reason the righteous remnant here is, is praying that, is because danger is, is about. Uh, so we too uh, call upon God for deliverance. And, and that danger is described for us, uh, it's a text we've looked at previously, Revelation chapter 12. If you have your New Testaments, I trust you do. Encourage you to turn to the twelfth chapter, the final book of the Bible. Uh, there's a great war scene here that occurs. There's there's a dragon that becomes present, and obviously you pick up uh, the language of of Exodus and deliverance throughout the text. Uh, it's very similar to the theology of Isaiah, chapter fifty one verses nine to eleven, uh, the people of God praying and God delivering His people. Uh, Let's look at the last verse uh, of the, the chapter, Revelation 12, 17. I'll read the first verse of chapter 13 as well. And the dragon was enraged with the woman and went off to make war with the rest of her offspring. By, that, by the way, that's, that's you and me. So there's a dragon in our lives and he goes to make war with us, to destroy us spiritually. Notice how they're defined, who keep the commandments of God and hold to the testimony of Jesus. And that, That's what a... That defines the righteous remnant. Uh, Revelation 13.1, And he stood on the sand of the seashore, and I saw a beast coming out of the sea, having ten hordes and seven heads, and on his horns were ten diadems, and on his heads were blasphemous names. Uh, so John is dealing with a beast just like Moses did with Pharaoh, and just like the children of Israel did with Nebuchadnezzar in Babylon. It's a great dragon. A dragon inspires the beast. Uh, so what's the outcome for the people of God? I mean, you know, how can people of God defeat a great dragon? Uh, well, again, it's, you might imagine it's couched in the imagery of the Exodus because that's what our lives are. In Exodus, we've departed spiritual Babylon or, if you will, spiritual Egypt and we're moving to our heavenly city. Uh, look at Revelation 12, verse 6. The woman fled into the wilderness where she had a place prepared by God that there she might be nourished for 1,260 days. That is purely the theology of the book of Exodus. Uh, fled into the wilderness. That's what children of Israel, they fled into the wilderness, the place prepared by God. Uh, G.K. Beale understands the word place as a spiritual sanctuary. Now, you and I in Christ are in that sanctuary. Uh, the time period, 42 months, is an allusion to Israel's 42-year wilderness wandering. So it's very clear that we're dealing with another exodus. How do you think it's going to turn out? Well, we should know how it's going to turn out in light of Egypt and Babylon. Well, the dragon pursues uh, uh, the community because uh, he wants to destroy the church. But there's a warfare that's come before that in, in verse 9. And the great dragon was thrown down, the serpent of old who is called the devil and Satan, who deceives the whole world. He was thrown down to the earth and his angels were thrown down with him. In other words, there's a great battle that occurs in heaven. What happens in this battle is that uh, Satan, the great dragon, is disbarred from entering the court 
any longer to bring accusations against the people of God in light of the work of Christ as our great defense attorney. In other words, everything he did uh, sets us free. And all of the accusations of Satan become meaningless, so he's kicked out of court. Well, he's angry then, so he comes to earth to destroy. Uh, and the destruction uh, is his attempt uh, to deceive the church. But we know because of Revelation 12, verse 9, that our victory is certain because of what Christ did in disbarring Satan from making successful accusations against the church. Uh, because of the work of Christ, we've been justified. That's a legal term. We've been declared not guilty. I mean, you and I know otherwise. We, you, know, you and I know that we're guilty of lots of things. But because of the work of Christ, we're declared not guilty. And the greatest court in all of civilization, all the land, all of history, all of time, space, the court of heaven, has that word for the people of God. We are declared forever and ever not guilty. That in and of itself secures and seals our victory. Uh, but again, the dragon comes to chase us. Uh, we know that his attempts are futile because of the work of Christ, but nonetheless, uh, verse 15, Revelation 12, and the serpent poured out water like a river out of his mouth after the woman so that he might cause her to be swept away with the flood. Uh, verse 16, and the earth helped the woman and the earth opened its mouth and drank up the rivers which the dragon poured out of his mouth. So again, God, uh, God saves his people because God is creator. The earth opens its mouth and swallows the rivers of deception. Uh, it is a good reminder to uh, give some thoughtfulness to the fact that Satan is an arch deceiver. Uh, I mean, I'm not saying he doesn't use terrible, evil things and doesn't engage in great evil acts, but chiefly he's deceiving people into thinking that they're safe and that they have plenty of time. If you're not in Christ, you're not safe, and you may not live out the day. Uh, simply the point of the text. Uh, but notice the imagery, the earth helped the woman. That's, that's not a new event in redemptive history. You remember when... Uh, Moses in the wilderness, and uh, there was a small rebellion uh, that occurred, and his constitutional authority under God is being questioned. Moses, who are you? You brought us out here that we would die, and uh, we're going to lead the children of Israel back uh, to Egypt. At least we had uh, an occasional meal there. Uh, again, Numbers chapter 16, verses 31 to 33. The text literally reads, and the earth opens its mouth and swallowed them. Destroyed uh, all of the rebels. Why? Because God is sovereign. The earth obeys him. And like here, the earth opens its mouth and swallows the river of deception. Uh, so it is that uh, the earth and the rebellion against Moses opened its mouth and swallowed them whole. Is a reminder of God protecting his people, God protecting Moses and his, uh, his leadership, the children of Israel. So all of these things are historic reminders that should peg us to pray in like manner, uh, to, uh, to go through life in the midst of all of the difficulties and struggles and saying, 
Well, God has always saved his people, and therefore my way is certain. I may not know how, but I know that I have safe passage. I'm going to get to the other side. Uh, because that's what God does. Uh, in that sense, in the theology of Revelation chapter 12, you and I are in the last great final exodus. It's already started. You know, by the way, if you're not a Christian, you're like, well, I've got plenty of time. The exodus has already started. The train is already pulling out of the station. The stewardess is closing the door of the aircraft. I might come into you the reality to understand that you really don't have much time in light of Christ and what he has done. But in light of Christ and what he has done, you and I are rendered safe. So that in our battle with the forces of evil, we pray God answers. And the answer is his glory. Uh, so we pray in confident expectation. Uh, I mean, one way we could pray in light of Scripture, Philippians chapter 1 and verse 6, Paul says, being confident of this very thing, that he who began a good work in you will perfect it till the day of Jesus Christ. God starts a work in someone's heart. He never leaves them alone. He's going to perfect that work uh, because that's who he is. He doesn't engage in, in a failure. Uh, uh, he doesn't say, well, I hope you make it. Uh, try real hard. Hope you get to the other side. No, he shepherds his people, keeps them, preserves them, perfects the work that he started because that's the way God does things. Delivers his people. Uh, one of the reasons I'm a Christian, uh, there is no chance. God's going to perfect his people. It's going to happen. Uh, and they're going to uh, have safe passage. We know this from the theology of Isaiah, for example, first part of our chapter. Uh, verse 3, that he will turn the wilderness to be like the Garden of Eden and the desert like the Garden of the Lord. That's Deliverance is certain, and the outcome for us is a return uh, to the pristine beauty of a world without sin. Uh, Adam and Eve had to flee the garden because of the second Adam we are being returned. Uh, right now we're just engaging in the last great exodus, but one day uh, we will enter uh, that great city. Uh, and, and the Apostle John alludes to our passage this morning in Revelation chapter 21 in verse 4 uh, in terms of our entrance, in terms of uh, what we get on the other side. He shall wipe away every tear from their eyes. There shall no longer be any death and there shall no longer be any mourning or crying or pain. The first things have passed away. It's really the beauty of the language of Isaiah 51 and verse 11. And sorrow and sighing will flee away. That's an incredible promise that accrues to the people of God. When we cross the last great obstacle to our destination, everything about the curse will flee from us. Uh, it will be wrung out of uh, the fulfillment uh, of uh, the final works of God in perfecting the new creation. Think about that. Uh, every moment of sorrow that you've ever experienced will never visit you again. Every anguish, every sense of guilt will depart. Uh, because that's the other side. And we know the other side in terms of its glory is certain because our deliverance is certain. 
That's the whole point of the theology of the Exodus. Uh, and that's the prayer of the saints, verses 9 to 10, and then the answer uh, in verse 11. That we pray, and God delivers safe passage uh, every day, every day, to a glorious ending. Uh, we should uh, embrace such a prayer. Uh, pray in light of the history of redemption. Pray in light of the fact that God always uh, gives his people safe passage. And pray in light of the certainty of our glorious ending. Uh, and the joy of the time in which every occasion of sadness and sorrow will flee from us uh, is the eternal promise uh, secured uh, by our deliverance and our safe passage. And so there is a sense for the Christian in our exodus in which every day is Christmas. God delivering us every day. Uh, because if he wasn't, the dragons would get us. The sea monsters uh, would, would get us and carry us away. Uh, but they can't get at us because of the safety that God gives to his people. Uh, that he watches over us and he neither slumbers nor sleeps. Uh, he secures their deliverance and glory simply, simply awaits them in the exodus. If you're not a Christian, I would simply encourage you to begin the exodus. Come to Christ. Start the journey. Uh, the time is late. Uh, acknowledge Christ as uh, him who saves his people from their sin. The great word of the angel to, uh, to Joseph. He will save his people from their sin. Uh, he saves us and sets us upon a secure land bridge that will end in a time in which there's no longer death, no longer sadness, no longer tears. Eternal, everlasting glory for the people of God. Well, this morning we have the peculiar uh, privilege of, of acknowledging this theology in an acted event, uh, namely the sacrament of the Lord's table. Uh, at, uh, at Grace Bible Church, we hold to an open communion in the sense that if you are a Christian, uh, you profess Christ as your Savior, you're not living in uh, sin for which you are unrepentant, you are welcome to partake of the sacrament with us. Uh, because this is the Lord's table. It's not the table at Grace Bible Church. And uh, he comes to feed his people during their exodus time. Uh, in the wilderness, the children of Israel became hungry. He fed them. They became thirsty. He gave them drink. The same thing occurs in our journey. It's something of the measure of the sacrament of the Lord's table, the spiritual presence of Jesus Christ, sustaining, keeping, preserving his people. And that since we have a great, majestic God, He delivered us, He gives us safe passage, and all along the way, He meets our every need as we feed and drink Him. The warrant for this, there are many warrants, but one warrant is in the Gospel of John, uh, the sixth chapter. John chapter 6, uh, verses 54 and 55. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood has eternal life, and I will raise him up on the last day. For my flesh is true food and my blood is true drink. He who eats my flesh and drinks my blood abides in me and I in him. It's high metaphorical language for believing and trusting in Christ for the forgiveness of sin and receiving the promise that God through Christ will raise us up on the last day. 
and that we will never be lost. How could we be if he was our savior? That would be an impossibility in light of who Christ is. And so as, as we prepare our hearts to partake of the bread, uh, I would ask that uh, you do a couple of things. And that is, as the element is passed, you hold it until which time all are served so that we will partake together because Grace Bible Church is one body and we are a unified body. And so we eat together uh, as we apprehend all of the benefits that accrue to us uh, in our Lord's sacrifice for us upon the cross. Uh, if there's something that you need to square with God, then get it squared. You have an occasion of silent prayer. Uh, perhaps you need to confess something, uh, get something acknowledged before him, agree with God, and uh, act in repentance. Uh, but more properly, I think, to uh, having dispatched with those issues, to rejoice uh, because we're the people of God. We will not be lost. We will come to the end. He will make it so. He is our Savior. He is our mighty God. Uh, and He protects and gives safe passage to people all along the way. And may the Spirit of God, in, in the sense that only the Spirit of God can do, come and I grant you a sense of his presence in the sacrament because we meet God in the sacraments. We spiritually commune with him in that by faith we apprehend all that he is for us, our savior, our redeemer, our guide, our protector, uh, all along the way. And then after a suitable time, I'll pray and we will eat of the bread together. So let's prepare our hearts uh, for partaking uh, the bread of the sacrament of the Lord's table.